Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. So glad that all of you are doing church at home or maybe joining us at a later on during the week and watching this message. We're so glad that you're a part of our community of faith. All of you on campus who are here, just brave souls that you are, venturing forth without fear, love it, love it, love it. We're in a series called FH Strong. And just to give you a little uh, update real quick, FH Strong is about our church learning how to be strong. Now, our church is all about Jesus. So when we say FH Strong, what we're talking about is how do we encourage each other to stay continually and unequivocally focused on Jesus Christ. So we even have shirts and some tumblers and a lot of cool stuff that just says FH Strong. What's great about it is if you wear that, someone might say, hey, what does that mean? And then gives you an opportunity to start a conversation about how your church is focusing on Jesus Christ and answering the overarching question of this series, how does Jesus grow you strong in the midst of adversity? So that's been the theme. How does he do it? Why do we face adversity and what comes out of it? Our theme verse has been uh, from Jesus Christ himself, John 16, verse 33. This is where he says, I have told you these things so that in me, notice it's all about being in Jesus Christ, in me you may have peace. That word for peace is about strength, a centeredness. In this world you will have trouble. One thing we're learning is our world has tons of trouble. 2020 is nothing but trouble. It says, but take heart. And that is what this entire series is focusing on is this command of Jesus. Take heart. It means grab a hold of courage. I have overcome the world. So he exemplifies that for us. So today we're going to ask another question in our ongoing questions. And this one particularly deals with perseverance. And so our question is, why does pain and suffering cause us to question our faith? Why is it that when we have to face pain and suffering, when we have to persevere, oftentimes we question our faith? Well, the reason why is because pain, whether it's physical or emotional, always does something to you. Pain has a profound effect on the way we think, how we feel, how we process. When things are going really, really bad and we're suffering, it can really influence you. One of the things we do is we wonder. We wonder, well, Jesus, why is this happening to me? Do you care? Another thing we do is we ask ourselves, is there a reason or purpose? And if we can't find one, that's even more discouraging. Finally, we think, man, I'm all in on this. I've loved God. I've sacrificed. And the one time I need something to come through and save me, it's just not delivering. And that could lead to despair. Now, you may think that your experience is unique, and you may wonder, how have people dealt with this in the past? Well, just so that you know, the first century church had a tremendous amount of pain. They had so much pain. They had so much suffering that the apostle Peter wrote a letter to the church. And the first letter he wrote deals 
almost exclusively with the problem of suffering and pain. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go through verses 3 through 12. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read them to you first, and then we're going to dig into them and see what Jesus has to teach us about pain. Okay, let's begin with verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief. And that word grief there is that heart-wrenching pain in your soul. You may have suffered that heart-wrenching grief in all kinds of trials. Not just one trial, not just a couple, but all kinds. They're getting it from all sides. These have come so that the proven genuineness of our faith, the greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Wow, what a power-packed, bunch of scriptures. Now, he's writing to people who are suffering, and they're suffering a lot, and they're about ready to suffer even more. But his main point is this, is that even though often when people are really suffering, they're really hurting, they're maybe in a lot of pain, they generally are tempted to abandon their faith. And Peter is saying, you don't have to. You don't have to abandon your faith. You don't have to let go. You don't have to let down. Verse 7 kind of drives this point home where he says, these things have come, these trials, these suffering, these griefs, so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. So what he's saying is that the genuineness, the authenticity, the purity of your faith can be revealed in the midst of suffering. Now, how does that work? 
Well, I think one way that it does that is we have to look at the alternative, and that is this. What happens if I abandon the faith? Well, the first thing that happens is when we are in intense pain and we're asking God why, or the pain is just overtaken every moment, every second of every day, we begin to ask ourselves, there's no point to it. There's no purpose. So we give up on our faith. We say, God is not there for me. But the truth is, if you give up on God, then you lose all purpose and meaning. You don't just lose the capacity to find purpose in your pain, but you don't have purpose for anything in your existence. Now, the reason I point this out is because today, so many people struggle with pain, especially college students and young people. And the reason why is because when they went off to university, they took a course in their general education that had to do with ethics or philosophy or moral reasoning or something like that. And they were presented with an argument. This argument is presented oftentimes at Boise State University, Idaho State University, universities all across the United States. And what it is, is it kind of goes like this. They go in, they sit down, and the college professor stands up and says, hey, all of you who believe in God, all of you who think you're Christians and stuff like that, I have a, a little thought uh, exercise for you. I have three questions for you and then a conclusion. And the first one is this, they'll say, now, is God all good? Is God uh, all loving? And people will say, oh yeah, God's all loving. I go to my church. I hear that all the time. God loves me even when I make mistakes. Or I have God loves me no matter what. So God is all loving. And then they'll ask you the second question. And that is this, is God all powerful? Is God all powerful? He has the power to do anything. Oh yes, absolutely. God is, is all powerful. We all know that. And then they ask a third question. And the third question is this, well, is there evil in the world? And when you ask that question, you always say, well, of course there's evil in the world. And then the professor draws a conclusion and it goes like this. Well, why would an all-powerful, all-loving God allow evil in the world? The fact that evil exists means either he isn't all-loving, therefore why would you want to follow a God who's not loving? Or he's not powerful enough to do anything about it. Why would you want to serve a God that's not powerful? But actually, you know what it means? The professor will say, there is no God. Because if there was a God, this wouldn't exist. Well, the one thing they don't tell you is that this thought exercise has an unspoken premise. And that unspoken premise is this. Without a God, there's no way to define evil. If you don't have a God, then you don't know what is evil. So you can't say evil exists. And this is very important to understand is that when you give up on your faith, you're giving up on the one thing that can bring meaning and purpose to your experience. The other reason why uh, you shouldn't abandon your faith, and Peter will talk about this a little bit more, is that you lose the opportunity to grow strong. You see, in the end, pain can either destroy you or purify you. It can ruin you or it can restore you. You know, he uses, Peter uses the uh, illustration of gold. He says, your faith is just like gold and the fiery furnace that you're in, just like gold, is purified by it. Think about this for a moment. 
uh, you're rummaging through your drawer and you find an old gold chain, right? It's a big old thing that you bought in the 70s, you know, with a big gold medallion on it. You're like, man, I scored. I could pay my rent and buy a nice dinner with it. Because you look up and you find 24 karat gold is currently selling for 1,850 bucks an ounce. I mean, one ounce, and this thing must weigh a pound. That's 16 ounces. Holy guacamole. So you go down to your uh, uh, a precious metals place or a, uh, a jeweler, and you go in there and you go, hey, I'm going to sell this thing to you, and it's 1800 bucks an ounce. This thing must weigh a pound. Or, well, maybe not quite. I, I mean, it's got to be at least a pound. He throws it in there and he goes, well, actually, it's one and a quarter pounds. You know, this thing is 20 ounces of gold. And you're like, man, I'm rich. And then she runs a test on it and she goes, I hate to break it to you, but it's only six carat gold. And you're thinking to yourself, so what? You know, a pound and a quarter of six carat gold, that's awesome. Give me my money. He goes, well, I hate to tell you this, but six carat gold only sells for 400 bucks. So there's your thousands out the window. What's the difference between six carat gold and 24 carat gold? It's purity. That's right. See, 24 karat gold has been put in the furnace, it's been heated up, and it's been purified. So all the impurities and all the stuff that isn't worth anything have been burned out of it. And he says, your faith is like that. Suffering is difficult, suffering is painful, suffering hurts. But if you can persevere, all the impurities can be burned out of your faith. And so how do we persevere? How do we hang on? And this is where Peter gives us some real precious gold. Let's look at the three ways that we can look at suffering that change our lives. And it has to do with looking back, looking forward, and looking in. So let's dig into these one at a time. The first one is this, hindsight, which is looking back to something. When you're suffering, the first thing to do is to look back to something if you want to persevere. In verse 11, he says this, now when he predicted, these are the prophets in the Old Testament, the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. What he's saying is that you can look back to the suffering that your Messiah went through, and that will help you see your suffering in a different way. There's a, a many, many stories in the first 300 years of people who were martyred for their faith under the great Roman persecution. And what happened is the church began to celebrate these martyrs. And one of the things that these martyrs said over and over and over again was this, is I am blessed to be able to suffer in the same manner as Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Wow, talk about a powerful faith. The faith of those early Christians is the faith that changed the world. You can have that kind of faith. Everything you've suffered, everything you've experienced, all your pain and difficulty in your life when you look back, can have meaning and purpose. And you know what the meaning is? It means it's not that God doesn't care, but that he does care. How does that work? Well, here's how it works. You see, Jesus suffered tremendous physical abuse. 
Jesus suffered tremendous emotional pain and suffering. Not only that, he suffered the most uh, intense cosmic pain of the universe you could imagine, and that is completely separated and cast out of the presence of God. He suffered political pain. He suffered prejudice. He suffered judgment, false accusation. You name it, Jesus went through it. And what that means for you and for me is that regardless of what we go through, Jesus has gone through it as well. And what that proves is that Jesus cares, that he understands, and that he went through it just like you and I. So when you look back and you have hindsight about your suffering, it gives you the power to persevere. Now, the next thing I'd like to do is I would like to go to the second one, and that is this. You have to look forward, which is called foresight. And that is when you look ahead. Verses three and four says this, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You have an inheritance and your inheritance is where? Kept in heaven. And who's it for? It's for you. If you need to... uh, persevere, one of the best things to do is to look forward to something, and that gives you a powerful living hope. Since inheritance is of the future, the resurrection proves that your inheritance is waiting for you. And the beauty of that is that we can look forward to the restoration of all that we have suffered and all that we have lost. The promise of eternity with God is not only that we will be with him, but all of the suffering in this life will be redeemed. This is something so unique about Christianity that I want you to understand, is that Christianity is the only belief system that says that your flesh and your spirit will be redeemed together. When Jesus rose from the dead, he not only rose from the dead spiritually, but he also rose from the dead in the flesh. And that means all of our brokenness, all of our hurt, all of our difficulties, all of our struggles, all of our loss will be restored in a beautiful new. Dostoevsky wrote this. He says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. All the humiliating contradictions of human existence will vanish like a pitiful mirage. And his point was, is that God just doesn't uh, give you a new life. He also redeems and restores all of the loss from the pain and suffering that we have gone through. So not only do we have to look at hindsight, Jesus suffered, and so he's in the midst of my suffering. Not only do we have foresight and look towards our inheritance with him through the resurrection of the dead, we also have to look at number three, and that is insight. We have to look inward at something that he wants to show us. Look at verse 10, and then look at verse 12. Verse 10 starts off by saying, concerning this salvation... So he's talking about salvation. He's talking about how we are redeemed by Christ, right? And then at the very end, he says something really unique. Even angels 
long to look into these things. The word long in the Greek is the same word translated elsewhere in the New Testament as lust. It's like an obsession. The angels are obsessed with the gospel. Why? Why is it so fascinating to them? Why is it that they are so intently, constantly longing to look into the salvation of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, let's go back and look at what Jesus did. Jesus was previously in heaven with God. They were triune. They were one in each other. In last week, Pastor Harv talked about how Jesus Christ left heaven, right? And it said he suffered the cross and despised its shame. So the fiery furnace that Jesus went through was the cross, the crucifixion and the suffering and pain that he went through before he died. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says that Jesus was in heaven and he was equal with God and he didn't need anything. He had everything. So I begin to ask myself, what in the world would possess Jesus who had everything in heaven to leave it and suffer and die on a cross? Well, the only way he could survive that suffering, that furnace, is if he had a living hope. What is that living hope? What is it? What could it possibly be that would compel him not only to leave heaven, but then to go through that and then ultimately persevere and have victory? Well, there's only one thing in heaven missing. And you know what that is? You. That's right. You are his living hope. Let that sink in on you for a moment. You are the living hope of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 says that the sufferings of, of the one, the Messiah, will justify many. You see, he suffered in order to justify you and me. And that is what his living hope was all about. He did everything that he did so that you could come and be with him in heaven. If you think about that for a moment, you are God's living hope. Doesn't that give you a new understanding of what it means when Jesus Christ says that he loves you and that he sings praise over you and why he suffered on the cross for you. Because in the end, his goal was to redeem and restore and save you. You see, suffering is really unique in that regard, and it does unique things to us. And I wanted you to hear a story of uh, a man in our church who had some really severe pain and suffering in his life and how he persevered through it. So let's listen to his story now.
I'm Steve Ford, and uh, I lead the safety and security ministry here at Foothills. And I have uh, three hobbies there, hunting, fishing, and horses. And uh, I've hunted in uh, Alaska, Yukon, uh, New Zealand, uh, and of course, the lower 48 here, been to Africa a couple times. Fishing, I've fished in Alaska, British Columbia, uh, Chile, Ascension Bay, Mexico, Costa Rica. Uh, but one thing I'd never done is I had never been on a backcountry elk hunt by horseback. So last fall, I found myself and my son Spencer, two other hunters, uh, riding horses back into the uh, Selway Wilderness area. Um, had a good hunt, great group of guys. We were coming out and uh, the horses had been very spooky that day. So the hunters left with the two guides and the uh, packers stayed around with the mules to load them up and, and uh, they were gonna follow us. Well, uh, a couple of, uh, hours into coming out, the mules went crazy, string all broke apart and they came thundering down the trail towards us. I was the last horse in line and my horse thought monsters were coming to get him. And uh, he blew up, went on a rodeo and uh, he went bucking across the mountain and I believe I lasted eight seconds. But uh, anyway, he went one way and I went the other and I landed on a log on my hip. So when uh, I got up, I, I knew that I was hurt pretty good and uh, but you know, I thought I could walk it off. It'd be fine, I'll walk it off. Uh, the packers and the guides collected all the livestock finally and uh, packers headed on down the mountain and so they'd tie our horses at the bottom. We were just where the, uh, the trail went on a 2000 foot descent where you had to walk anyway. So we didn't really know how bad I was hurt. I mean, I, I knew it was very painful to walk. I was uh, urinating a lot of blood and uh, struggling, but we thought that uh, if I could walk down to the bottom of the mountain, get back on a horse, we could get out of there. And we didn't really see any other options. There was no place to land a helicopter. As I said, we didn't know really how bad I was hurt. I could still walk, although it was painful. So uh, we headed off down the mountain and I walked for a couple of hours. And uh, finally my son said, this isn't gonna work, we're never gonna get off of here because I was so slow because I was in so much pain that, uh, you know, we, we had to do something different. So these guys made a stretcher out of pine branches and they started carrying me down. They carried me down to the bottom of the, uh, of the descent where the horses were tied up. It was pitch uh, dark by that time. They helped me get back on a horse and then we rode for two hours in the dark and uh, I couldn't even see my horse's ears. It was that dark. And the guide in front had a little red headlamp so he didn't destroy the horse's night vision. And we rode for about two hours. We, we crossed the Selway River, pitch black. I couldn't have told you we were in a river. I could only hear the horse's hoofs splashing in the river. So, in uh, riding on that horse then, getting back on there with uh, what we later found out was a ton of damage in my pelvis. That was the most painful thing I ever did. Every rough step that horse took, it was just shot pain through me that I, I'd never experienced anything like that before. I, uh, I let out a few choice words that I shouldn't have said, but anyway.
So that's uh, what happened. I was on a walker for a couple of months, got my catheter out after a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a slow road there, but, you know, I'm still not all the way back, but I'm getting, I'm getting there and things are going well. But I look back on that and on this whole episode and there are several things I took from it. And uh, that is that uh, the first thing when it first happened, I just finished praying, asking God to protect all of us and even the animals and protect all the livestock. And so when it first happened, I was like, why is this happening? Why did this happen, God? And then as I began to collect myself and things went by, I went, hey, it could have been a lot worse, could have hit my head, could have injured my spine, I could be paralyzed, you know, things are going well. And then as I said, the medical diagnosis continued to improve. So sometimes, you know, God's with us and we, we don't know it at the moment. As I was trying to get down that mountain, one thing I kept reflecting on was one of my favorite verses was Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that helped me a lot. So as I reflect back on this uh, whole episode, the thing that, uh, that, that I take away from it is, is this, is that if, you, if we rely on Him and we persevere, you know, we're gonna have pain, we're gonna have challenges, but as long as we lean on Him, as like Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that we can get through these, we're not alone, and we'll come out the other side if we lean on Him. say thank you, Steve, for sharing that story with Foothills. And, you know, my final challenge for you today is this, is that suffering is a fiery furnace. It is a fiery furnace and it burns, but it can either destroy you or it can purify you. And here's the hardest thing that you may have heard in a long time. And that is this, if your faith is not real, if it's fake, if it's filled with worldly concepts and worldly values, then when the fire hits it, all the impurities are consumed. When suffering comes, that fiery furnace will burn away all of those impurities, and there may be nothing left. But if you have faith, a little faith, no matter how small, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, guess what? That faith can be refined and it can be purified, but you have to see the fiery furnace with new eyes. You have to persevere through the difficulty by looking in hindsight, looking foresight, and looking on the inside. What is God trying to do to your faith? The fire of the furnace burns away all the impurities, all the stuff that is not pure, genuine, that brings glory and honor and praise. What, the, what, the ways that you are looking at suffering right now are critical because your faith depends on it. Let's let the host close us out. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.